is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Jackson. Jackson is a finance expert. I learned a lot from him about our financial system and how it relates to the technology called Bitcoin. Learn about El Salvador and how they are leveraging Bitcoin to make their nation a better place. Learn about how and why we got off the gold standard in 1971. Really interesting, didn't quite know that. And it gives context, a strong foundation as to why Bitcoin is really important in this day and age, along with the fascinating coalescence between good food and good money, the convergence between Bitcoin and ranching or farming. If you're enjoying Peak Earth and you'd like to contribute, I came up with a few ideas. One could be searching Peak Earth on YouTube and subscribing to the YouTube channel. There will be more clips coming out. There are a few on there now. Another idea could be leaving a five-star review on the Apple or Spotify app. Those always warm my gizzards. Lastly, you could climb a tree or a building or a telephone pole and yell or sing or yodel just really let everybody know how much you enjoy the podcast maybe tell them a little bit about your favorite episode just scream it out shout and hopefully this is in a place where there's a, a lot of people within earshot where they can hear what you're <laughs> what you're screaming and they can just go down on their phones look it up boop 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 and uh i think that would be pretty cool all those are great ideas of ways to help contribute just sharing those if, if you're curious you don't have to do any of that obviously it's all optional and i really appreciate you tuning in thank you hope you enjoy this episode with jackson how's it going case i'm doing well thanks for having me on the show big fan of yours stoked to be connected and speaking with you to to learn from you we've been connected online i'm a big fan of your work as well so we mutually admire each other's creativity and you've been diving deep into some really fascinating and important topics about health and food and wealth and money and those two tie together in really interesting ways i guess a, a big question in mind and maybe an obvious place to start would be how you got into this work because you are you're a young man and you're, you're deep deep into this knowledge base which really makes up the foundation of our world in a lot of ways yeah, it's a great place to start, and um, I'll do my best to answer such a, a, a massive question. So, you know, maybe thinking about to what's relevant, and, and as it relates to your podcast, which is focused on health quite a bit, and my personal health journey, and also my my journey in the financial markets as well. I'll try to tie all this in together. So, uh, I'm currently 26, so I'm coming up on five years out of school now. I have, um, I would say, health wise. I wasn't always the healthiest person. I kind of grew up a little bit, uh, a little chubby, I would say, through middle school and high school. Didn't make the best decisions. Uh, my personal health, although my mom was always very health conscious and, and a bit of a gym rat herself, um, she was always very fit. And I feel like I kind of rejected that from a young age. She's telling me to eat this, do that. And I guess it was just, uh, you know, my teenage self that wanted to move in the other direction. So, I didn't have the best health really growing up, and um, it's kind of crazy to now be on a health podcast. Uh, I would have never thought this maybe a year or two ago. So it's it's been uh, quite a journey. But anyways, um, you know, my habits were really not that great uh, in high school, into college. Lots of um, you know eating a lot, ton of processed foods. You know, the dining halls aren't great, but also indulging in that binge drinking culture. Uh, I went to a large state school um, in the Northeast, so does have that, that party culture for better or for worse. You know, I made a lot of great friends. I, I met my now fiance. So there's a lot of positives to it, but I also think it had some negative consequences for my health, uh, both physically and mentally. Kind of as I graduated back in 2018, I moved to New York. I, I still was kind of in that mindset of, you know, party, 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 just going out on the weekends with friends, um, going out to eat a lot, not really being mindful of what I was putting in my body. And, um, Things actually actually started to change for me uh, in 2020. I suffered a concussion on uh, New Year's Eve, so you can I'll let you, let you use your imagination how that might have happened. Uh, so on January 1st of 2020, early in the morning, I, I got a concussion, 
so I had to take a break from work for a good month and a half, two months or so. And it really was that was kind of the impetus for me to restart my life um, and be a lot more focused and intentional and mindful of how I was living, I would say. So I spent a lot of time, you know, away from the booze, away from eating poorly, being out and socializing, away from, you know, the screens at work, the screens after work, and started to go on a lot of walks, started to read a lot more um, and, and cook more at home. And then COVID happened. So I moved out of New York, moved back to uh, my parents' place in the Northeast. And that was where things really accelerated because I had so much time on my hands, you know, that was otherwise preoccupied with um, just going out with friends on the weekends and, and just kind of enjoying, I guess, that urban lifestyle. And I was back in suburban um, Pennsylvania, you know, with, with not too much to do. So I started exercising a lot more. I was much more mindful of my food. And then I also started to go down this Bitcoin rabbit hole as well, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but having worked in, in traditional finance for a couple of years now, uh, I was already kind of aware of financial markets and different asset classes and, you know, what impacts equities and fixed incomes and all this stuff. Like it was all uh, in my, in my uh, periphery in my career. So it was really in 2020 when things, you know, I, I was able to take a break from the busyness of life, move back home, uh, enjoy a more peaceful lifestyle, and then also to kind of see everything going on in the world which we could talk about that more as well. And a lot of the things I disagreed with, uh, with, uh, you know, the, the, the COVID response with economies being shut down and the very aggressive push. So, um, you know, one thing led to another and that's kind of how I'm here today now where I'm very interested in health. I'm interested in Bitcoin and these are all different interests that I have. Um, and they're a big part of my life. Wow. That was a, it's a big time, big moment for you. 2020 was a lot changed, a lot changed that year, it sounds like. It did, yeah. So um, we were talking before we recorded, just like finding the good and the bad, right? And, you know, I, I got that concussion and it's, luckily I don't have any long-term symptoms from it, um, which I'm very fortunate and blessed about that. But it was an opportunity for me to kind of change my life and then same time, a couple months later, COVID happened and it was like, wow, there's a lot of time to think and, and kind of realign my priorities here. Yeah, sometimes life really forces forces our hand to try and, you know, grow up and kind of mature in a way and take our life a little bit more seriously and, and reassess these things. And yeah, sometimes it really just slaps us over the head with uh, with this realizations where it's like, these, you know, can't keep living like this forever. Really got to, really got to make some changes here. And how... How did you approach that? Was it? It sounded like it kind of all happened at once. We were just like woke up on New Year's Day, just like everything's gonna change. Like we just gotta flip the switch on this. Or was it more of like a gradual kind of like learning from different outlets? Or was it like there a book or a documentary that changed things? Yeah, so I would say it's it's really come from a lot of different directions. I, I really tried to cram so much into that introduction, right? But really, within the three the past three years, uh, there's just been a lot of different influence in my life uh, on, on the health side, the finance side, and just kind of me as a, as a person and figuring out, you know, where I'm taking my life, right? Um, so I would say it was a progression. It really was almost a zero to one moment where this concussion happened and I was like, whoa, this is, you know, th this is a little out of control. I need to kind of figure out what I'm doing here. And that, and I was already like so bad with my health, um, like, I'm about 40, 50 pounds lighter than I was back in 2019. So I've gotten much, much more fit since then. So it was like, you know, I was almost at like, uh, the bottom, the bottom of where I could have been with health. So it was almost like, all right, I just need to start eliminating one thing. So it started with processed foods and with, uh, you know, binge drinking, which I wasn't able to do because of the concussion. And it started to become more getting outside in the sunlight, going on walks. And once I got home during COVID and I didn't have any distractions, those walks started to become runs and started to become calisthenics and, you know, incorporating push-ups, sit-ups, stretching into my daily routine. Um, and really it just kind of became a gradual process over the past couple of years where I've gone from being someone who was very lethargic, very uh, just uninterested in health, right? To being someone who's very health conscious now where I am uh, you know, very intentional of where I'm getting my food from, what kind of food I'm eating, 
And um, I would say in terms of the influences specifically, it really comes back to finance. It really just comes back to the financial system and understanding how broken incentives are there. And once I realized that in 2020 and 2021, it was like, whoa, you know, since money kind of touches everything, touches every industry, if the incentives are broken there, then you know the incentives are going to be broken in almost every other industry. So I started to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, one book that really stands out that, that you might find interesting, your audience may like, would be The Fiat Standard by Dr. Saifedean Amus. And he kind of writes about the history of money and then ties in our current money monetary system into art, architecture, government, uh, food. So that was a big one. That's a really interesting one I read last year. And then really just getting on Twitter as well, man, uh, and following people like yourself, uh, coming across Brett and Harry, the Meat Mafia, probably at the start of 2022. And really, um, that's where a lot of these influences came from. And just learning on Twitter and, you know, I, I start following one person's podcast, I read another person's book, and it's just this accumulation of knowledge that I've gotten over the past couple of years. Wow. That's awesome. And a couple of things come to mind. One is that I have a similar story myself. I must have been 22 or 23, went out on New Year's and just drank too much, woke up in a place I, I had no idea where I was. I was in like a, so we were up at a college campus. I woke up in like a living room with like other people on the couches. I was like missing a shirt. I had no idea how I got there. And that was like startling to me because that had never happened before. I had never gotten drunk to the point where I had like blacked out and not known like where I woke up. That had I've certainly had struggles with alcoholism and like blacking out during college, but it was never that bad. And that for me, it was a point where I was like, all right, this is, this has to stop. Like, I, you know, I have to let alcoholism sort of be a part of my, my childhood. Almost like and at, at a certain point I moved on from like playing with action figures as if they were like, you know, toys. It's like, I approached alcoholism the same way. I was like, all right, that was a phase of my life. I'm not going to grow up beyond that and, and kind of leave that towards my, you know, later adolescence, I guess, and become sort of a man who's more focused on just like making the world a better place. And then that sort of got me really interested in things like, yeah, food, why is everybody sick? And that will naturally lead you to money if you follow that rabbit hole down enough because you're like, well, everyone's sick because they can only afford fiat food as, as we could say, but to someone else, I guess that could be described as like junk food or these commodity crops that are funded by our tax dollars. And you know what, it, it gets really deep and becomes this incredibly complex web because at this point, Man, it's been it's been decades where these systems really do become entrenched, and it's not like we can just flip a switch and, and turn them off. We have to take sort of a long term view and a long term plan with a really deeply rooted, sound system of of getting ourselves out of out of this hole. And were you always sort of interested in, I guess, being of, of service to the world or like kind of? interested in, in large challenges or is that something that came online once you became healthy, once you sort of had this extra energy? Yeah. So I actually grew up in a, a Catholic family. Uh, I, I was raised going to church, not every Sunday, but I would say, you know, we, we went most Sundays, went to Catholic school growing up and um, some of the issues that I have with the church aside, uh, you know, the Christian faith, I think, has been, um, to some degree, has been quite uh, quite an influence in my life and, and just kind of like, you know, being of service to other people, helping your fellow neighbor, right? That There's just kind of fundamental principles of Christianity, which I guess it were ingrained by my education system, by my parents, by my family and friends, you know? So um, I, I definitely had that from a young age, just being kind of involved in going to uh, these, going to schools and participating in different retreats, things like that. I think I kind of lost that. I lost my way a bit uh, in college just with all the distractions that exist there. After, I would say, you know, in back, going back into New York and, and living that lifestyle as well, it wasn't really until after the concussion and after COVID and I had that time to reflect, I figured out I, that I wanted to be of service to the world in a bigger way and figure out how I could contribute my skill sets to help humanity. And uh, a big portion of that, I, I believe, is Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, we could talk about sound money and just how all the different corrupt incentives of the fiat monetary system have really degraded society and our culture in so many different ways. So, you know, that's kind of the war path that I'm on currently is to figure out how better money can create uh, 
a better society with more human flourishing and prosperity, happiness, right? Um, there's just so many issues that exist today. So it's kind of a big issue to tackle, but I guess it's kind of always been uh, part of me, but uh, inconsistently throughout different parts of my life. And I'm, I'm luckily and fortunately back on, uh, you know, back on the right path. Cool. And it sounds like you have found certainly uh, a strong sense of meaning and purpose to your life that can be invigorating and, and challenging and giving you a creative catalyst every day. I am excited to speak about Bitcoin. I, I know that I, I came across this thing probably along with a lot of other people when it kind of first reached that first sort of pop in the uh, public consciousness. I think there was a a man I'm forgetting on his name. You probably know he, he was on the Joe Rogan experience talking about Bitcoin. Um, it was probably around $400, you know, a Bitcoin at the, at the time. This must have been like 2014 or 15. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So that was even before I knew about it. <laughs> but here's the thing. I had no idea what to make of it. And I sort of just passed it off. I think like a lot of people and we were making ourselves later. But even to this day, a lot of people probably perceive it as a speculative, a speculative asset, maybe something like internet money and don't really quite grasp the significance of it in the, in the way that you do, which is really powerful, especially as a, as a young man, you're seeing it as a way that we can realign society, not as speculative internet money. You know, it's something much deeper and much more powerful. How do you, how do you perceive this technology? Wow. Uh, that's a tough one to answer uh, just because it goes so deep. I, I would say at a fundamental level, one of the biggest issues with our money today is it's backed by nothing and it's centrally issued, right? So, you know, we saw in 2020 and 2021, great example of the government and the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States kind of coordinating to send a ton of money, not only out to people themselves, you know, those checks in the mail or the direct deposits people are getting, but also adding a ton of liquidity into financial markets. So essentially just creating new dollars and the result of that has been the inflation that now we're, we're seeing uh, since 2021. And um, that's really the root cause of all these higher prices that we're dealing with. And a lot of people are stuck in that. Fortunately, not so much me. Um, it definitely has hurt me. My wages haven't kept up, kept up with the amount of money that was created. Uh, in, in 2020 and 2021, about 40% of all dollars that exist now were created. So it's insane. In just two years, you know, like... That, that's just insane to think about, right? So that is uh, one of the main issues with our money today is it's contrary to the history of money. Money was supposed to be a way to store your value, right? So you produce, say, Case, you're, you're a uh, rancher, right? And you produce beef uh, for your community. And eventually the community becomes too large to barter, right? So it's like you may provide beef and you don't want the other person's apples. So you need something that's a medium of exchange to transact between the two of you. So that's where money comes in. And then money, a good money also needs to store value into the long term, which essentially means be a good savings vehicle. Because assuming that you produce more than you consume, you're going to have savings and you're going to want to keep that savings safe over the long term and not have that value be diluted, right? So dollars work well for transacting between you and I. It's good for facilitating that medium of exchange. But let's say, you know, you're um, you know, let's say a family member gave you a hundred bucks when you were born. That a hundred dollars is not going to be worth much today now. Um, it would have been worth a lot hundred bucks would have gone a lot further, you know, about 30 years ago uh, when you were born than it does today. So it's not really storing value. And that's mostly because of the corruption of money and just the fact that there's nothing backing the dollar. It used to be backed by gold since 1971. There's been nothing backing it. So it could just kind of be created um, infinitely as so much that the public doesn't lose trust in the currency. And that kind of creates broader problems. So Bitcoin, why is it important? Uh, it is a it's really the first money to ever be created that does not rely on a trusted third party. So you're not relying on the government or the central bank to maintain the trust to manage the money supply ethically. You don't need to trust anyone. It's decentralized and it's a hard money as well. So there's only 21 million units that will ever be created and it follows a issuance schedule. Um, so there's you know a set amount of Bitcoin that are produced every 10 minutes or so. And in 2040, the last 2140, excuse me, the last Bitcoin 
will be mine. So that's all to say that it's a scarce money. Um, we don't need to rely on, on trusting anyone else. Um, it's open source code. So I'm not, I'm not a programmer myself. I'm not sure if you are, but, um, other people who have the competency of, of writing code can verify the code themselves and understand it and see exactly what's happening in the Bitcoin protocol. So it's very transparent. It's inclusive. Anyone could participate. Uh, it's hard money. It can't be, you know, it can't be inflated away. It can't be confiscated. So that has a significant, that has a significant amount of benefits for humanity. Absolutely. What I find fascinating about this is it does seem like a no brainer in a way where, well, yeah, why would we have our money based on nothing? We're creating it out of thin air. It's causing all these massive problems, specifically inflation. Here's a better solution. It's going to be sound. It's, it's going to be based on this new thing that we're creating the internet and and all this amazing computing technology that we have but it's also decentralized meaning it's it's not reliant on on the internet or any one particular computer it's kind of a network all across the planet it could be used across nations where we don't have to translate you know euros to yeah and it's just like this this one thing that we can have i also perceive some you know a lot of I guess, problems or, or hesitations or challenges that, that come as a result of that. I, one that comes to mind is like, okay, so I, I agree. I want to be a part of this solution. How do I, as an individual, sort of contribute to this movement aside from buying Bitcoin and holding it as, as, a, as an investment? Are there other ways that I can be a part of the Bitcoin movement to bring us to realign us to sound money and, and a better economic system that can be built on top of that? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say absolutely. And it will just, it really depends on the individual and their skill set. I would say the person who could contribute the most to the Bitcoin network is going to be someone with a developer background because then they could start working on applications. So they could either, you know, create an application on top of Bitcoin, let's say like some sort of payment service, um, or they could join a team that's working on an application. So Lightning Network, for example, maybe you've heard of it, is a layer two application above the base layer of the Bitcoin protocol, which essentially allows uh, people to send Bitcoin instantly, globally, and for near zero fees. Because Bitcoin at the base layer has kind of a, uh, a maximum throughput of transactions that could be done. So in order to scale it up, there's a lightning network, which sacrifices a little bit of security, but it's also not meant for, you know, moving. A, it's not really meant for moving all of your net worth over it. It's maybe meant for more microtransactions. So perhaps going to the coffee store and buying that. So, you know, there's a ton of room for people with development backgrounds to get involved in Bitcoin because there's constantly updates to the Bitcoin network. And then there's all these applications that are being built on top of it. For someone like myself who has a non-technical background, I would say that helping people understand the importance of it is the highest value that I could contribute at the moment to Bitcoin, or maybe you could contribute to Bitcoin. And I really find it valuable because I just think that there's economic calamity on the horizon. I'm not going to say it's next year or maybe within this decade, but I just know that the current financial system as it exists today is unsustainable. And I think that Bitcoin is kind of a life, life raft in this sinking fleet of, of fiat currencies and just this fiat financial system. So that's why I do a lot of writing online. Uh, I think it's a good way to kind of share ideas that I gather from other people's perspectives and my own thinking and then, you know, bring that to the world. And, and hopefully that helps other people. Maybe, it you know, it creates questions for others that I can help answer. Um, but I would say really that, you know, just education, having an active uh, discourse with people, helping them understand the importance of it. And, and that's, that's really a uh, huge contribution because at the end of the day, it's still very misunderstood as an asset. Absolutely. It, it, it definitely is. And it comes from a, a bit of a, a dark history with some, well, at least the way that the media has presented it has, has been somewhat, somewhat dark and, and contributed to that misunderstanding. Um, I, I do want to learn more about the Lightning Network because from, from what I understand of that, that's actually quite a significant innovation that has been somewhat 
I'd say a little bit underplayed because we've, I know that there are some apps coming out that are taking advantage of this. And I, I know it's still a new technology, but um, from a, let's say from a content creation standpoint, there are online e-commerce stores. I think like Awishi is, is an example of something like that, where, where you can send, send Bitcoin or yeah. even just Oshi. some sack. Oh, we should, yep. And, and then there's, um, uh, there's, I just saw the other day, there was a social media network, I think it was called Damas, that is going to be using Bitcoin to like, as it was a way to, and so instead of, but let me take a step back and then talk about some of the biggest social media networks, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, we're essentially the product as, as users of those. And then they are profiting off our attention in the form of advertisements. They're large public companies that are making billions of dollars, and they're actually able to distort and manipulate our attention and our perception and our beliefs and our ideas. But say you were to recreate a social media network where the creators are also the ones who are profiting, which is seeming to be what a lot of these apps are doing with Lightning Network, using attention and turning that as a form of currency, where if you create a piece of viral content, it's not going to be Instagram and Twitter that are making the most money off of that through the advertisements that they sell. It's going to be creator themselves who's earning as a reward for the value they provide based on the entertainment and information that they give in return for the attention, which is also incredibly brilliant. And, and building that on top of the, the Lightning Network is, is awesome as, as we look sort of more towards a long-term vision of what Bitcoin can be and how it can spread and provide value to, to users. Because right now, I think people, I, I come from an economics background myself. I spent some time working in finance and we're all very focused on like, okay, what, what do I get out of this, right? Like mm-hmm. you're only so far working on working on the angle of like, oh, this is just like good for society. That, that's only going to appeal to like some people and, and, and sometimes. And this is a big part with food, too, where it's like if you buy organic, if you buy, you know, regenerative food, it, it's just good for society. That's, you know, it only goes so far. It also needs to be delicious to me. It also needs to be like convenient for me to access. And, and I love how these two are married together as well, where a lot of the problems with our food system are economic, are systemic, where the most affordable food, the most convenient food is also terrible for our health and terrible for our earth. And that's another thing where if we play out the system that we're on, we're only seeing cancer rates rise. We're only seeing obesity rates rise. We're only seeing diabetes and depression rates rise. Why? It's because of the, the food, which is <laughs> then linked down to the money. And I sound like a crazy person ranting and raving right not now. To, no, it's not like, to me. Not to me. It's true. <laughs> you don't sound like a crazy person to me, Case. No, it's <laughs> it totally is true. It's um, there. It's well documented history. Uh, like just looking back to 1971, where uh, when gold was removed from the system, essentially what happened for your listeners. Um, so, very brief history. Uh, 1944, there was this conference called Bretton Woods in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. Um, at the Bretton Woods Hotel in New Hampshire. Um, and essentially, the, this was after World War II. The United States had a ton of gold because of World War II as being fought overseas. A lot of countries sent their gold to the United States for safekeeping through the war. So then in 1944, they all, uh, you know, leaders of different world countries, they met in, in New Hampshire, um, Bretton Woods, and they decided how to structure the next monetary system. So gold was at the center of it. The dollar was pegged to gold at $35 an ounce. And then all the other currencies were then tied to the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar was really the only thing that was tied to gold after 1944. And really, the going back to Bitcoin and breaking trust, what ended up happening was the U.S. government started issuing too much debt. And eventually, creditors of um, the U.S. government, like France, wanted to repatriate their gold. They were like, listen, the U.S. government, you're spending way too much money. We know we don't really think you have that much gold on deposit for all the spending that you've been doing over the past decade or so. We want our gold back. So then uh, President Nixon went on TV in, in 1971. And he was just pretty much like he just rug pulled them and said, you know, uh, we're actually going to depeg the dollar from gold. So because of that, there was a ton of inflation in the United States. And how this links back to agriculture is there's a ton of inflation in the United States. So President Nixon appoints uh, this guy, Earl Butts, as Secretary of Agriculture. And essentially his job is bring down food prices because, you know, we're, the United States population is not happy about how high prices are. You know, people can't afford groceries. You got to do something about these food prices. 
So this guy Butts, he starts instituting policy, which essentially led to the consolidation of farmland. Um, his big talking point was go bigger, but go home. So there was a ton of consolidation. Um, larger farms that benefited, benefited from essentially the industrial revolution and had like better technologies and productivities were able to do well while the smaller farms kind of went under or sold out to the larger corporations. So there was a ton of consolidation there. And then um, that kind of incentivized this monocrop agricultural system where we grow a ton of corn, soy, and wheat. And then we also subsidize it now too. So it's very cheap. So us, the taxpayer, are essentially paying for the poor health of other people kind of in a roundabout way because our taxes are going to fund these crops that are then being put into these industrial foods, which are cheap to produce. So in a way, it does kind of bring prices down. It does mask inflation a little bit, but at what cost, right? You know, people's health is is extremely poor kind of across the board now in the United States, especially. So um, essentially, that's all to say that there was bad inflation in the US uh, in the 1970s. And they had to figure out a way to bring food prices down. And that kind of meant sacrificing the health of people. And Shortly after that, we saw the introduction of the nutritional guidelines in the 1970s and 80s, where, you know, it's no coincidence that we're producing a ton of corn and wheat, right? So then the nutritional guidelines say you need to eat six to 11 servings, I think it was, of, of grains a day, right? Or whatever, not a day, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so it's no coincidence, right? Like all these incentives kind of play into, um, from the money, play into the agriculture and the health that we're, we're seeing now 50 years later. Wow. It's wild from so many angles. And I, I'm just thinking about Nixon as a president, like that was, was a bit of a gangster move to just be like, <laughs> remove the whole gold standard. Like they must've been somewhat aware of the fact that it would just set our entire nation up for failure, just like century down the line, or at least put us on a crash course for some serious challenges. Yeah, no, it's, um, it, it, it worked in the short term because essentially the government was like, you know, they, they called the French called the United States bluff. They're like, yeah, you guys don't have that much gold. And he was just like, all right, well, you're not going to get it back then. Um, but now we are seeing the consequences of money for nothing. And, you know, just how it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are. Um, it, it really doesn't politicians at this point, they're just kind of spending a ton of money and it's to the detriment of people who don't benefit from that new currency creation, essentially like, I, I say, let's say I have $100,000 in my savings account, which I would never do um, because I would be, I would be uh, losing a lot of money to inflation. But let's say I did. Um, and then they just, you know, the government comes out under, you know, either Biden or Trump, it doesn't matter who, and they just print 40% of all dollars in two years. Essentially, I'm getting devalued my savings by 40%. Um, cause everything is going, is going to go up to some degree, maybe more or less 40%. Um, so it's really a shame. And, uh, that's kind of why I think Bitcoin is so important and it all kind of ties in as well to the food because trying my best to try to educate some ranchers as well on, on the importance of Bitcoin. Um, cause I like to go direct to, to the farm or a farmer's market and get to meet the people that are producing the food that I eat. I think there's a ton of value in doing that. And it's just great to cultivate that relationship. And uh, in Austin, Texas here, there's actually a surprising num number of uh, ranchers and farmers that do accept Bitcoin. But trying to get these people who are in charge of producing our most important thing at a fundamental level as people and also get them on board and get them, you know, at least get them some safety in Bitcoin and not be kind of exposed in all ways to the U.S. dollar and, um, you know, potential risks that that brings. Absolutely. It does seem like a really important part of this this movement and really something that has drawn me to the movement in these past couple of years is that marriage between ranching and, and beef and, and Bitcoin, sound food, sound money. It's this really fascinating coalescence between two really important parts of life unfolding. These these two really helpful tools and technologies, the the, the cow and, and the coin, the the, the Bitcoin and, and the bull, just like marrying and, and converging and, and coming together to provide us with a way to build a better future because we've got so many challenges ahead of us, but we've also got these these tools, these these solutions that, that we can use to to leverage and, and create that cooler world. It's 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 such a deep and interesting 
part of of becoming a man is was just like realizing how everything seems to be kind of like collapsing and, and cracking under, under the weight of like decades of just misalignment with, with incentives. And now here we are just almost not quite scrambling for solutions, but in a way kind of there's, there's time pressure as well, right? Where it's like, we don't have forever. We've got to figure this challenge out. And, and a lot of that is kind of just like awakening people to the idea, just like raising awareness so that others can become involved and, and join, join the movement and use these, these tools, it's local ranchers, Bitcoin, and then just kind of spreading that message. It's, I wonder to what degree that could or should play out over the next like few years in like a optimal world and in your vision and in your mind's eye, like how do you see that kind of working out in the best possible way? So I I go back and forth on this case. Uh, You know, some days I'm optimistic and some days I'm pessimistic because I think a lot of people are just so apathetic to the way they live their lives. And I don't also don't think that I don't fault them for it either. I think it's just kind of the way a lot of people have it really poorly because of how high cost of living is their wages have, have just been stagnant compared to their, you know, their rent, their food, their gas, their electric, like for a lot of people, they're struggling out there. So they don't have the luxury that you and I have to be, to, to be thinking or talking about these topics. Um, but, you know, barring that and the people who do have the ability to, you know, to think about this and, and actually work on building a better future, my hope is that, um, you know, every day I think there's more and more people joining our side who want the truth about, you know, the money. They want the truth about agriculture, about health. And um, it is a bottom up, bottom up kind of grassroots movement, though. Like it happened to each one of us at an individual level. Right. So it was kind of years in the making for both of us to kind of become the people that we are today. And I don't think that that's, that, that's kind of the standard in my mind. So you know, for people to understand how deep the rabbit hole goes on health, for instance, and to understand that, you know, actually everything that you've been told pretty much is incorrect. You know, saturated fat isn't necessarily bad. Cholesterol is not bad. Red meat's not bad. Like it does take a while to kind of warm up to that idea. So I do think that there's hope for the future, absolutely, um, because I think that each day we have more and more people who are kind of awakening themselves and, and realizing, you know, something's not wrong and I want to get to the bottom of this. And, um, you know, that, that does give me hope for the future. So, you know, t- I hope that answers the question. But, you know, I would say that there, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic just because, um, you know, we have truth on our side and you know, there's really no, no way that we could lose. Yeah, truth does win eventually in the in the long term. It always rises to the top and may take some time. There may be some ups and downs, but the truth is like a big beach ball. It just it's gonna rise. You can't really hold it down. It's you know, everything else is gonna sink, but the truth will will rise to the top. And I was listening to a podcast just the other day. It was um the heuristic, Michael uh, Lucchesi, and he was interviewing Ben Justman, who's a wine wine farmer. He's got a vineyard, and he's, he's really into the. They're both into the Bitcoin movement, and we're talking about how this this technology and, and and this idea can spread. And and one aspect of it they're talking about is that people who are into Bitcoin are really cool and in the process of self actualizing. It's just a vibrant community, unlike any other where they're interested in having high health, having high wealth, you know, networking and having good connections and, and having good time and enjoying life, making the most of this experience. And I think that's really powerful as well because people are drawn to that. Everyone wants to be part of a, a vibrant community, no matter where they are in life. They want to connect with other people who are, you know, enjoying life, having a good time and, and, and you know, rising to the top. It's I think that's really, to me, what has been drawing me to this over the past couple of years as well as, as an outsider looking in not so much as a speculative asset, something that I want to like invest in to get rich, but as something just like cool to be a part of and, and to use. And, and it's just like got this, um, you know, cool vibes to it where it's, yeah, like I'm, you know, ahead of the curve. I'm, I'm a part of something good. And that's actually been a powerful part of it that, that I've been realizing sort of over the past few seasons as well, that is really emerging um, and coming to the forefront. Yeah, no, you're so right. I mean, it's, it's such an in- interesting group of people. Uh, that Bitcoiners are. It, it seems to be a very 
uh, curious group of people that, and it is almost kind of, you're kind of forced into that as well. Um, not that you don't want to do it, but it's like, all right, if I'm going to understand money and finance, then I, eventually I'll kind of understand how that works into different industries as well. So I was not always as curious about how things work, but I think you're totally right. I mean, meeting up with Bitcoiners is always really cool. It's part of the reason why I wanted to come down to Austin is because of how vibrant the community is here. You know, there's pretty much a meetup, uh, at least one meetup a week in Austin here. So it's really cool to just meet with people in person. You already have so much in common with them. So you kind of skip all the stupid like BS small talk and you kind of talk about whatever you guys want to, right? And it's it's really cool. Um, and I think it does draw a lot of eyes to it as well because a lot of Bitcoiners adopt low time preference thinking, which is essentially just long time horizon or thinking for the long term. And if you start thinking for the long term, you're automatically going to make better decisions. You're going to look better as a person because you're going to, you know, throw away the short-term pleasures of junk food and eat highly delicious, uh, you know, other foods, right? But that maybe, but maybe they're not as hyper palatable as some of these processed food makers could could make some of their products. Um, you're going to be a lot more smart, smarter financially. Um, so it's just like that low time preference thinking kind of trickles into all areas of life. And it's like on the other side, I certainly agree. I think whenever I meet Bitcoiners, they're always very vibrant. Um, they have a lot of enthusiasm. They have a lot of curiosity and it, it's just a really cool community. Nothing like I've uh, ever found before. And it's also a lot of fun too. I mean, you're on Twitter, so you, you see a lot of it, um, but it's, it's not like fake networking such as LinkedIn. Like being on Twitter is actually cool to connect with people and you know you actually want to connect with them because you like what they're saying and they seem like a fun person to talk to and get to know. Um, so yeah, you're totally right. It is, um, it is kind of drawing in a lot of eyes and attention because of that too. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that you came across it back in 2014 and it was like, Oh, you know, what is this? It's some speculative investment. I don't, I don't really want to get involved with this. I know you're kind of warming up to the idea now. Has that been in the past year or two? And is it mostly just, I guess, from seeing people online talking about it and, and, um, getting, you know, I guess getting more touch points with it, or is there something else that's kind of made you interested in, in it? Yeah. So I remember now the guy who was on the Jerogan experience was Andreas Antonopoulos. And he was, uh, just spoke really compellingly about Bitcoin, but it almost immediately got lumped into this large category called cryptocurrency, where it was, it wasn't quite easy to distinguish it from something like Ethereum or Ripple or whatever other, you know, dog, doggy coin, like Dogecoin, like they were all, you know, is like all part of the same thing. And you go on like Coinbase and it's all, it's kind of lumped into the same category in the mind as like a stock, right? Where it's like, you can invest in stocks or you can diversify in these like risky assets called cryptocurrencies. And they're like all over the place every day. And it's almost like a casino, right? There is no sort of deeper meaning to it. But then recently, really with the Beef Initiative, seeing uh, Bitcoin differentiate itself from the other cryptocurrencies and really from the other asset classes, it's becoming more of a way, more aligned with the, like these deeper, meaningful movements. So it, it got this deeper layer of meaning where it became um, linked with this this movement towards sovereignty, towards decentralization, and the inflation of the past year, two years has been a massive catalyst as well, where we're everything that everyone had been talking about for so long, sort of speculatively, like, oh, the, you know, the money has no backing. Everything that you're saying really came into play. Like that hadn't kind of really hadn't happened in, in my life in like a real meaningful way until that big inflation. And now that was like very salient. And you could imagine that happening again or happening to a larger degree. And that's, that's certainly, uh, certainly not something that we would want, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's scary to think that, we could just be all disadvantaged to that degree, um, just like really out of the blue because our monetary system is just built by, you know, at a kindergarten level and is, is so complex to the point where it's just not making any sense anymore. It's like this, this is linked with this whole system is this whole bag of twisted yarn is just like, it's a mess. And we've got to start from a new foundation, from a new ground level and, and, this Bitcoin technology is absolutely something that could, could do the trick, right? It's maybe not perfect. Like there's certainly some things wrong with it, but it's like, Hey, this, this has a lot of value to it. Maybe it evolves into something else. Maybe something new comes along that is very similar and, and becomes the, the solution. But 
man, it's that's been really a story for me, paying attention to it and becoming more intrigued by it over these past couple of years because that's that's been uh, a strong, strong reason to pay more attention to it is like the actual real inflation that we've all experienced and the differentiation of it from other cryptocurrencies because it's linked more with other things that I care about that are deeply meaningful like ranching and, and, and beef and, and personal sovereignty. Yeah. No, that, that's really cool to hear. Um, because Bitcoin really, it is, it is simple, right? It's just trying to be money. It's, try, it's a better form of money than what we currently have. And then once you start going into the deep end on the other crypto stuff, it becomes very overwhelming very quickly. And a lot of it is just extremely scammy. Um, a lot of it is just kind of vaporware, right? It's, it's just going to zero. I don't bother with it at all. There may be a very f- few small amount of projects out there that may have some long-term uh, meaningful impact in, in the broader crypto space. But, you know, that's why I only focus on Bitcoin. Um, the, the SEC, actually, not that I am one to love regulation, um, the Securities Exchange Commission, they have a pretty unfavorable view on everything else besides Bitcoin right now. They're pretty much like, you know, all these other crypto tokens, they, they sound like companies, they look like companies. They may have to register, may require them to register with the SEC in the future, which would be extremely detrimental to to all these other things. And they recognize Bitcoin as a commodity. So, you know, even the regulators who <laughs> don't have to get into that rabbit hole, but they even see the fundamental difference between Bitcoin and everything else. And, you know, it does kind of tie back to just being money and, you know, that beef Bitcoin um, movement that exists is really just about you know, preserving um, the American rancher and, and their ability to provide food for us and giving them that financial stability. And also uh, for us as a consumer, being able to transact with them directly, because it's not hard to imagine one day in the future where we, uh, we live in a cashless society or close to it. And if you're transacting with everything that needs approval or could be censored by, a, you know, another financial, uh, you know, financial institution, then you need to be able to pay someone peer to peer without permission. So, you know, just kind of getting ahead of the curve there. Uh, we already see so much demonization of livestock and, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of worrisome to see because you and I both know well that cows are great for the environment. They're, they're part of the ecosystem. We need them for vibrant, uh, you know, for vibrant pastures. And trying to take those, try to take cows away and push these industrial processed like bug slop onto people is just is crazy. Um, it's it's really it's it's sad to see, and a lot of people are going for it too because there's a ton of money behind it. Yeah, it's insane from the standpoint of truth and justice and what's good and right. But it makes perfect sense from the standpoint of our incentives, where since the 1970s we've been forced on this treadmill essentially to be able to have to earn more and and from a you know big business standpoint and the most profitable commodities are, are the ones that are also not very healthy but we've been growing them for decades we've got these mass the entire midwest is just like grain fields and it's like we got to get more people paying more for for eating these things and otherwise our economy sort of uh, collapses in a way or at least the ones that are sort of at the top, keeping the, keep the thing running from a certain perspective, the ones that are lobbying our government to make the rules to kind of keep this whole system funneling in, in, in a major way. And it, it is very much a grassroots, grassroots movement, which is another cool aspect of it where we can be individuals and participating, have some power, right? Because we've, we've all had the experience of the past couple of years of being sort of uh, watching our government become the bad guy in a lot of ways, be more tyrannical, impose a will that is not quite a will of the people. It, it really didn't feel like that in, in any way to me. It felt like maybe it was the will of some people, but those people also weren't quite aligned with truth. They seem to be coming from a place of fear, which was drummed up by the media, which is being paid for by the pharmaceutical company, which is paying the government. And then it's all cycling back through this system of profit and uh, just spreading uh, advertisements in the form of science through the media. And it's, I mean, it's, it's something that I'd prefer to get behind, but it's also, you know, or push, push behind me and, and get past, but it's also something that we've got to be aware of because it's playing out just like you said with the food system as well. It's really the exact same playbook of, of spreading fear to amplify profits on the back end. just the cycle of using the media to spread fear, to sell certain products. And it's all just these big businesses, including the government, which is really operating like a, like a big business nowadays. And I'm 
I'm also fascinated. I'm curious if you have something about that. I'd love to hear it. Or also what's happening in El Salvador. I don't know if you're up to speed on, on that. I think that's kind of interesting as well. Um, either of those topics of conversation, I'm, I'm curious about to, to kind of stem from that, that rant. that I went Yeah. On. So um, I'll talk to, talk to El Salvador uh, briefly. I haven't been yet myself, so I don't know. I don't have boots on the ground to really confirm um, or fully understand, you know, what the circumstances are there. But I will say kind of the impetus for El Salvador adopting Bitcoin was a use case that we were, we didn't quite cover earlier, but we started to talk about it with the Lightning Network. So maybe you've heard of uh, Jack Mallers and Strike um, and, his, and his company that is utilizing the Lightning Network. But essentially, um, one of the big use cases of, Lightning, of the Lightning Network could be remittances. And uh, I don't know all the stats off the top of my head, but El Salvador has a high percentage of their GDP, maybe about a quarter of their GDP is uh, strictly from remittances. So people from richer countries who move to richer countries like the United States, but still have family in El Salvador, they send that money back to El Salvador to help their families, right? So uh, a huge use case of Bitcoin in the Lightning Network is, um, is what Strike was doing with remittances. And essentially, the way remittances used to work on the, um, the Western Union uh, kind of uh, like even a couple of years ago would be send money through Western Union, let's say a hundred bucks to uh, your family back in El Salvador. And out of that a hundred bucks, maybe the Western Union's taking a 10% fee or something. It's pretty hefty. And then your, uh, your family members getting charged fees on the back end in El Salvador as well. Not to mention that they may be having to travel, you know, several hours to get to that Western Union branch to be able to get that remittance money. And El Salvador does have some, you know, dangerous areas. So there then becomes a chance or a risk of your family member getting mugged at that Western Union, getting their remittance money. So this is just one application um, and kind of why El Salvador even got on the map with Bitcoin to begin with, as I understand it, was because there's a huge market for remittances. And essentially, um, this money could just be sent over the Lightning Network. It doesn't get sent in Bitcoin. It's like, I'm going to send dollars uh, to my family and they're going to receive it back in dollars in El Salvador, but we're just going to use the lightning network on Bitcoin to essentially switch the dollars to Bitcoin and then switch it back to dollars really quickly on it as a transaction. And they're able to get that money almost instantly, almost zero fees. And that's just kind of a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're starting to see play out. So that's just one use case that's extremely powerful that, you know, gets that, not only cuts out the middlemen, which are extracting a ton of fees out of that remittance money, but also reducing the potential harm that could be caused on a family member as well, trying to get that money too. So that's just one example. Um, I would love to get down to El Salvador, uh, maybe later this year, if I could pull it off, um, because I do want to see what's going on there. But it is pretty crazy to see them adopt Bitcoin. But it's also not surprising because a lot of these countries are disadvantaged with the dollar system. So it, it's not surprising to see a country like El Salvador want to adopt some, uh, another money like Bitcoin, which could have a more promising future for it than, than being stuck. Essentially, you know, if you're El Salvador, you are using dollars quite a bit, but you're not able to print them like the U.S. can. So, you know, you're, you're, not, you're at a disadvantage. And a lot of that inflation from the U.S. when creating more dollars gets, export, uh, gets exported to other countries. Um, so that's part of the reason why they, why they adopted it. And uh, I think it's quite interesting to see. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or two, we see some other countries, maybe in Latin America, come on board uh, with the Bitcoin standard as well. It's really interesting to see it pop on a, on a national level like that, to see a country, a nation embrace it and, and have the people behind it and see it unfold in the beautiful way where, where they're benefiting from, from the technology. And it's not just this speculative internet money that is used for like drug trafficking or whatever, like it used to you know, be perceived as or, or presented as. And now it's like really having this next stage in maturity and, and evolution where ranchers are using it to have sound money and, and transact in a direct way with, with their customers, with their community. And it's being used globally by other nations who can benefit from it tremendously in myriad ways, like as you described so well. And how do you research or stay up to date on all of it? Um, are there certain 
websites, podcasts, news feeds that, that you use to sort of be a part of it from a from a media standpoint? Or are there certain accounts that you recommend people follow if they'd like to learn more aside from yours, which will be linked below in the, the show notes and everything like that? Is Just for anyone trying to get started or stay up to speed with all of it. Yeah. So I would say the the foundational, foundational article for me when it came to Bitcoin and the importance of it and understanding the history of money and the importance of that and, and how that all kind of ties together uh, would be the article titled The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. I think it was originally published in 2017 or 2018. It was one of the first articles I read, read about Bitcoin. Since then, he's published it into a full book, which is also quite a short one, maybe 100 150 pages, so it's quite digestible. Um, in addition to that, there's a ton of interesting content articles that are put, published on Bitcoin Magazine. So Bitcoin Magazine is a great resource. Um, it's individual individual contributors for the most part. Um, so there's just a lot of really interesting ideas being uh, put up on there. And then uh, Bitcoin Twitter. I mean, there's just so many so many great accounts. Uh, Case, maybe I should just kind of send you a list of five people that I think are maybe kind of the best thought leaders or um, best for people who are kind of new to the space and we could include them in the show notes. So I don't uh, rattle off anyone that I, you know, would want to change down the road. Perfect. We'll uh, have that included below as, as a resource for further learning and, and deep learning on, on the topic. And as we're sort of wrapping up here and what was a wide ranging and fascinating conversation, was there anything sort of left? in mind that you'd like to add some additional color to or go a little bit deeper into detail on that we didn't quite cover? No, there's just so many different cool and interesting ideas to talk about. I would just say that it, it it's something that I'm watching closely is just kind of the narratives around the climate and how it relates to food. And it seems, I don't know if you disagree with this, but it seems that the argument is very simple now where it's, cow is bad and like lab meat is good and i'm not really sure where that takes us in the future but and i'm also not sure how we combat that aside from again like grassroots bottom up people understanding this at an individual level and then essentially educating their peers maybe going to their um you know local politicians and, and trying to you know make make some change that way but uh you know that's only effective to some degree so that's why I think Bitcoin's important as well as, you know, I don't know where this is going longer term with the next iteration of trying to force like fiat foods and, you know, change consumer diets. Um, but I know it is coming. Um, one of the things we didn't even talk about, I think it was in like 1966 when egg prices rose. Uh, I forget who was the uh, secretary of ag at the time then, but essentially uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was the president. And he had, I think, either the Secretary of Agriculture or the General Surgeon just make up a reason why uh, cholesterol was bad so people would stop eating eggs because egg prices were high. So it's just, you know, crazier things have been done in the past. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but I think we also have to know the reality of our situation, that there are people who are trying to control our diet. Mostly just, I think it comes back to money and power. I don't think there's any, like, crazy nefarious scheme, but it's more so how can we get people to eat more of our products and make more money from it? So there's a lot of money that's just kind of being funneled into this narrative around cows um, and just ruminant animals and being bad for the planet. And I'm not sure how we're going to fight that one. Um, in the, but I think over the longer term, it'll just kind of become evident as people become more sick, you know, just more lethargic, more obese more chronic illnesses because their diets aren't in check. And it just kind of takes one person um, each day to kind of wake up and say, you know, something's not right here. Maybe it's my nutrition. And then, you know, they all go down the rabbit hole as you and I have about uh, just the history of ag and nutrition. Absolutely. And really well said, not too long ago, both of us were completely ignorant to these ideas and we're suffering as a result of that. And as we've learned and as we've integrated and as we've evolved, we've become much better humans as a result of that. Now telling our stories, sharing that light and turning on others. Other people have interacted with the creativity that we've shined out and have changed. And that ripple effect is very real. It's happening every day. Even though we can't really see it, we don't often get you know, messages of people that have, you know, been completely changed from these things, but I'm sure you've gotten some, I've definitely gotten some and they, it does happen. That means there are others who are turning on that aren't 
you know, sending messages. And, and this is happening all over the world at this moment. People are, are deciding that they, they've, they're fed up with the lifestyle of living and they're going to turn things around and be a part of these solutions and, and building a better world. And all we need are a certain number of people. And we're getting closer and closer to that number every single day. And it's because of work that you're doing, work that we're both doing. And I really appreciate you doing that, putting your free time and your energy in, into this, this effort, into this mission. And I, I commend you for that. And I appreciate you taking the time to share it with everyone listening here today. Really looking forward to everything that you're going to be creating over the future. And thank you. Thanks for everything you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Case. Same, same back to you, man. You're doing fantastic work. Uh, you're one of the, you're one of my favorite accounts in the space, one of my favorite people in the space. Your podcast is just so high signal. I've loved all the guests that you've had on so far. Um, I think you're sharing fantastic information that the world needs to hear, both over the uh, audio waves and also on Twitter. Um, I don't use Instagram, but maybe I'll need to download and follow you there too. But just keep up the gr the great work. Uh, you're, you're really having much more of an impact than maybe even, you know, so really appreciate your work case and thanks for having me on. It's, it's a great pleasure. Grateful for that. Anytime we'll have to run this back again and, uh, had a great time, Jackson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.